You see, when C.S. Lewis was, uh, when he was younger, he wrote this book called The Problem of Pain. And it was kind of his way of explaining the theology behind the pain in the world, right? And it's interesting because C.S. Lewis, he, he married pretty late in his life. His only marriage was when he was 58 years old uh, to a woman named Joy Davidman. And in the beginning of their relationship, she actually found out that she had bone cancer. Um, and she realized, and, and they realized that it wasn't something that was going to go away. But they decided to get married, and, and they ended up having four years of marriage before she died. And after her death, you see, C.S. Lewis, he wrote this book called A Grief Observed. And he actually, he didn't pen his name to it because it was, um, it was so personal to him that he didn't want to necessarily be associated with the book. And you see, this book, it was a collection of his notebooks that he wrote trying to understand his grief. That during the, late, the end parts of his marriage to when she died to afterwards, he was writing in these notebooks about just his sadness, his grief, and just how he felt about God. And it's interesting because a lot of his readers actually really don't like this book because in it, he is so completely raw and he is so upset at God. And even for me, when I read it, it surprised me too because I had built up this man to be almost indestructible. Because for me, he was a man who had shaped my faith and faith shaped my theology to a really huge extent. And so for me, I kind of set him on a pedestal above everything and anyone else. And yet, I was able to, in this book, glance into his most desperate time and see that, yes, he was shaken. And for me, honestly, it was difficult to read at times because he talked about how in his most desperate moment, God was silent. And when he needed God the most, that's when God didn't speak. You know, there's this quote by uh, Chad Walsh that I like who reviewed a, a grief observed. And he wrote, the problem of pain seeks to provide theory behind the pain in the world. A grief observed is the reality of that theory. For us, we don't want to feel pain. We don't want to go through difficult times. And for us, a lot of us, we take the right steps when hardships come. We pray. We pray first. But the question comes, what happens when we pray and God is silent? It's in those moments, you see, that James is talking about here. He's not talking about that first instant. He's talking about what happens when you need to endure. What happens when you are going through the most difficult of times and there's a trust that you have built up with God and yet in that most crucial hour, he is silent. Because for many of us, it is in that time 
that we try and move the world ourselves. It's in that time when we try to take matters into our own hands and we become impatient. You see, here in the Greek, patience, it literally means slow to burn. When something is going on in our life, our natural inclination is to move and do something. If someone is physically hurting us, we move with our fists. We move with our body. If someone is rude to us, we move with our tongues and we insult or we complain or we grumble. And if something isn't lining up the way that we want, we move with our hearts and we tell God, look, God, your schedule is wrong. Your timing is not right. I'm going to do it the way that I think is good. You see, many of us work hard and we give faithfully, and yet things aren't going well because our schedule just isn't God's schedule. The raise that you wanted hasn't come yet. The career that you wanted isn't here yet. You thought that maybe you'd be married by now, but you're not. And for a lot of us, you had an idea of what your life would look like right now, but it's just not that way. You see, in verse 7, James, he uses this really interesting metaphor of a farmer. Now, back then in Israel and in Palestine, there were two main times the rain would come, the early rain and the late rain, it says in this verse, but it would be once in the spring and once in the fall. The first time the rains would come, it would soften the soil so that the farmers would be able to put seeds into the ground. It would be so that they could plant and that they could wait for the harvest to come. That rain was so absolutely crucial for them to begin the farming. Now, the second time the rain would come, what it would do, it would grow the grain, it would make it full, and it would make the harvest full. Because for the in-between time, the harvest would begin to grow, but it would not be complete. It would only be until the late rain comes, and that's when the crop would really begin to grow. Now, there was a temptation for the farmers here, because there would be times when the rain would come late. And so to, the temptation would be to try and plant anyways. It would be to use their strength because for them, they didn't think that the rain would come. And you see, the other temptation was to harvest too early. If the rains were late, then you want the crops, they could all end up dying. And so many farmers, they would be tempted to harvest before the rain. And their thinking was, at least I just have to cut my losses. You know what? If the rain comes... Uh, later, that's, that's fine, whatever. I have, to, I have to collect what's there already. I can't wait for the later rain. I have to collect here and cut my losses and just keep what I have in this moment. And so the question that the farmers always had in their minds was this one thing. What if the rains never come? 
You see, in the book of Hebrews, it says that hardship may be painful now, but it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. The, you see, the Bible says that what you are going through right now, it's a drought. You are about to plant, or maybe you have planted, and you are waiting, and you are waiting, and you are waiting, but there's no progress. For a lot of us, you don't see anything. You don't see any clouds coming. You don't think that rain is, is coming. You've waited maybe months, maybe years. And yet, there's one thing that the Bible says again and again, and there's one thing that the Bible says right here. And it says, look, be patient. Be patient. Because if you stay put, if you trust in God, if you submit to his will, then there will be rain. That's the promise that God gives. Now, this may not be the rain that you had expected, but I guarantee you that is the rain that you needed. Hebrews says that the rain will come and there will be a harvest of righteousness and peace. You see, when you are patient with God, you will harvest, there will be an exponential growth in your life of righteousness. You will become a man or a woman of righteousness. If you wait upon the Lord, if you are patient, then the harvest is that you will be a man or a woman of peace. You will grow in that exponentially, more than you had ever thought possible. You know, I'm going to try to make this a bit more clear. We have a lot of young single men and women in our ministry. And I'm sure, and I, you know, when I was reading this, I couldn't help but connect marriage, right, to uh, this metaphor. And the Bible it says a lot of things about marriage, what kind of person you should marry, um, and how you should interact with your spouse. But one of the greatest temptations that you will face as you get older is to go out and cut your losses. Look, look, he's, he's good, you know? He's not everything, but, but he's something, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, she's, she has all this stuff. She's good enough, right? And as we get older and, and even as we begin friendships, for so many, I've seen this so many times, we are willing to compromise on things that we would never have compromised on. And so for a lot of us, we say this one thing, you know what, at least it's better than nothing. But in truth, it's actually worse than nothing. Because when you believe this, when you put your eyes upon this, you are moving without God. You are impatient with God, and so what you are doing is you are cutting your losses before the rain comes. And so how in the world would God ever bless that type of relationship? You see, maybe God hasn't given you what you desire, and so you are wondering whether or not to cut your losses and move forward. The Bible says one thing. It says, be patient. 
If you get a good thing the wrong way, it becomes a bad thing. There's no verse in the Bible that says the ends justify the means. That's not biblical. That's not in the Bible at all. And you see in, verse, in, in 1 Samuel 13, there's this really interesting story. There was this Philistine army that was about to attack the Israelites. And it says that the Israelites were so scared that they were hiding under bushes and running away into caves. But in this moment, Samuel, he goes to Saul and he says, look, I'm going to go away, but I'll come back in seven days. And on the seventh day, I'm going to make a sacrifice. And that's when the tides are going to turn. And so wait seven days. Samuel goes. Seven days later, Samuel isn't back. And Saul, in his impatience, goes and makes the sacrifice himself. And it was in that moment that God tells Saul, because of your impatience, because you couldn't wait for my timing, the kingdom that I have given you, I will take away. Now, only a few chapters later, God tells Saul to destroy all the animals in a certain city. But Saul, he keeps a few of them, and he thinks that in his mind, oh, I'm going to keep these, and I'm just going to give them as a sacrifice to the Lord. And so he keeps a few of the best animals, and he sacrifices them to God. And only later, Samuel comes back to him and says, Saul, what are you doing? It's not about how much you're willing to sacrifice. It's not about how much you're willing to give. It's whether or not you're willing to obey God. That's the only thing that matters. It's not about how much you're willing to do and all this other stuff. No, no. It's just, are you willing to obey God? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than anything else that you could do. And so in your life right now, stop trying to overcomplicate things. If you have a decision to make, if you have a, pl- a path to go to, if you have a plan that you're thinking about, stop thinking about the pros and the cons. Don't worry about the, those things. Those are all secondary. Think about this one single question, the very foundation of what you should be asking before you ask anything else. And it's that, is this my will or is this God's will? And when you have that one question down, then the other things will flow into place. I promise you. And yet for so many of us, we are so impatient that we are willing to step over that and immediately go to what is my pay going to be? What is this connection going to be? How am I going to have to move to this location? How am I supposed to think about this? And that's when worry enters into your life. And that's when you will not be able to sleep because you are putting all the pressure on yourself because you have skipped that one single question that is most important. Is this my will or is this your will, God? And if it is God's will, then he will allow everything to fall into place. He will give you the answers. You will be at peace. You will be a man and a woman of righteousness. You will be a man and a woman of peace. I guarantee you that. It is a promise given by the Lord. Is this my will or is this your will, God? And you see, your, your patience, it affects how you talk and interact with the people around you too. 
Because your patience with people is dependent on your patience with God. Because God, he shows his timing through the people around you. You know, I've, I've been able to talk with people and, and they've, and, and I've multiple occasions, they've come up to me and said, you know what, I'm trying to do well in, at work. I'm trying to go up in my career, but my boss is the one person who is stopping me from ever getting up there. My boss is the one who has been terrible to me. And it was to the point where their boss was actively trying to sabotage their career. And, and for them, they were so upset. But the thing is, when you are patient with God, and when you understand that God has his timing, you know that the reason your boss is there and the reason your career is behind schedule is because for some reason, in God in his wisdom decided to keep you back. Now, this doesn't mean that the boss isn't guilty. This doesn't mean that there was not injustice involved or any of that. But it means that you have a fundamental understanding that your situation and where you are today didn't come by accident. That even if everything else did seem like it came by accident, you know that your situation in life, no matter how terrible it may be, no matter how backwards it can seem, is not by accident. That God has brought you to that place for a reason. It's that belief that you are not living plan B of God's plan for you. And when this happens, even as you maybe search for other job opportunities, even as you think of ways that you can wisely and graciously talk to your boss, you will know that God has a plan and a purpose for you even in this. And that he is working for your good and for his glory. John Newton, who is the, a famous theologian, but he was the author who wrote Amazing Grace. He said this one quote, Everything is necessary that God sends. Nothing can be necessary that God withholds. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God is infinite in wisdom and in compassion? Do you believe that he has already set your life in motion from the very beginning? Then you'll believe that the thing you wanted but hasn't come yet is not necessary right now. That the thing that you're going through but you wish that you weren't, it is necessary. And I don't know how that makes sense even for myself. But I do trust in God. And I do trust in that statement. Everything is necessary that God sends. Nothing can be necessary that God withholds. But here's one thing I, I really want to press before we end. Patience is not indifference. A patient person can be angry, and an impatient person can look calm. 
When you're patient and waiting on God, that doesn't mean that you don't care about what's happening around you. You see, patience and love are connected. They are intimately connected. Think about 1 Corinthians 13. What is the first thing that it says? Love is patient. But indifference, you see, indifference, that's connected to hate. When God came up to Cain and asked what happened to Abel after Cain killed him, what was Cain's response? He said, I don't know. That's not my problem. Am I my brother's keeper? When you think that way, all you're trying to do is protect yourself. And for many of us, we don't realize that that root of indifference, it starts from hate. When you love someone, it's okay to be angry at them. If they're hurting themselves or other people, of course you get upset. And of course you tell them to stop. You love someone, so you become angry. But here's the thing. When you are about to correct someone, Ask yourself, am I doing this out of a patient heart or an impatient one? Because there's a difference to when you speak from an impatient heart. First is that, to be honest, you're not going to speak respectfully to them. Your goal is going to be saying that you're one step above them, that you are better than them, and so you will never speak respectfully. You're going to treat them as a second-class citizen. The second part is that when you speak from an impatient heart, your aim is to humiliate them. And so your questions, the things that you say, are all meant to belittle that person, to embarrass them. And lastly, when you speak from an impatient heart, your goal is to make yourself feel better. While the goal of a patient heart is to seek the change for the other person. You see, brothers and sisters, this all comes down to one thing, and it's trust. Are you willing to trust in God? Even in your hardship, even in your most difficult situation, and even when he's silent, are you willing to trust in God? You see, there were people who followed Jesus all throughout his ministry and saw all the teachings and all the miracles that he did. And yet they saw this same person dying on the cross, and for them, they were utterly confused. They were so sure before, and I'm sure that a lot of them decided to cut their losses and to simply give up on Jesus. That death was going to be the end of all that he said. And so they said, you know what, I'm going to tr put my trust into something else. But for us, we trust because for us, we have the rest of the story. We see how it ends. But for you, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And for me, I don't know what's, what's happening in your life. I can't understand all the things that you're going through. But even in your hurt, even in your suffering, can you wait? 
For us, we want to move so badly. For us, we want to act and go. And that even when we pray, even when things are silent, those are the times when we want to go the most. And yet in the Bible, God is just asking you here, be patient and trust me. You see, at the end of A Grief Observed, the questions that C.S. Lewis brings up in the very beginning, they're, they're actually not answered. But he does say one thing. He says that to him, God will always be more mystery than reason. And that even though God is more mystery, that his faith is found in a God who had defeated death on the cross. And he says that even when Joy, his wife, died and God stayed silent, he knew that God was still there. And he said that the reason God was silent was because he was being patient with him. You see, God was waiting on C.S. Lewis. Church, don't mistake God's patience for his indifference. God is here, he is waiting, and he will continue to be in front of you. We're the ones that continually run away. We are the prodigal son. We are the prodigal daughter. And yet God is still here with his arms open to us. Church, your your sufferings may be great, but stand firm. Be patient. Because in the Bible, it says the rain will come. The Bible promises that. So trust in the Lord, for he is compassionate and merciful. Let's pray.